I used to think <clears throat> I used to think that preaching was the hardest part, but uh, watching your kid up there saying verses is 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 more nerve wracking, I think. So, well, we have come uh, to the end of our study in the Old Testament uh, characters, and uh, today marks the beginning of our um, kickoff for the New Testament character studies. So. Uh, there are a couple of people that I want to look at this morning, but before I do, how many of you have um, climbed Half Dome? Okay, good. Climbed Half Dome. Half Dome is a a big rock in the Yosemite Valley, and uh, it's uh, for those who are really in shape. I think it's a four-hour hike, and and for me. It's about a four-day hike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some years ago, I uh, took another group—not not the group, not the time I went with Tom—but I took another group up to Half Dome with me at uh, Yosemite. And for those who have hiked it, it really is quite an amazing accomplishment, uh, particularly for amateur hikers. What really irritated me was on the last part of the hike when you're going up the back side of the dome. And I'm all out of breath and trying to grasp on for dear life the cables as I'm going up. I see these clowns out there running up almost with no attachments up the side of the hill, you know, with all their hiking gear. And I'm going, wow, did I ever look foolish. But for an amateur hiker, it's a pretty good, it's a, it's an accomplishment. And for those who want to boast in their triumph, they can, once they've come down from the, the, um, half dome, they can go to the store in the valley. And they can buy a shirt. And the shirt says in big bold letters, I made it to the top. You can even buy it if you haven't done it, but it's really not honest. (laughs) And you can wear it with pride throughout the valley floor. Now, the 2010 Winter Olympics have just ended last week, and many athletes uh, competed for a a dizzying array of of sports activities, some things I'd never seen before. Okay, the USA won more medals than any other country. But, but, it was Canada that won more gold than anybody. And after all, isn't that what it's all about? That's what really matters, winning the gold, especially in hockey. (laughs) I don't know if you saw this or not, but one athlete was so upset that he had only won the silver that he immediately posted on his website that he had won a silver in Torino, a gold in wherever it was, I forget, and he took this year's silver medal and he put it ahead of the gold and said that he had won platinum. (laughs) He was so upset about not winning the top medal that he made his own medal up. Why? Honestly, nobody remembers the silver medalists. They don't remember the bronze medalists. And they certainly don't remember those who didn't get medaled at all. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Have you made it to the top? Have you won the gold? There seems to be a passion, not just for Americans, 
but for all humans, to uh, for almost every human being, to a passion for making it to the top, of winning the gold, of being number one. We want to be at the top of our game. We want to be recognized and with letters after our name. And the more letters after our name, the more important we are. We want to be the next American Idol. We want to have the best stats. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to be somebody. In fact, we're so vain as humans that we even publish lists. You ever heard of them? The who's who. The who's who of everything. Who's who in America? And if you're not on that list, you're nobody. Who's who in American history? Who's who in British history? Who's who in American art? Who's who in American high schools? Who's who among students in American universities and colleges? And the lists go on and on. Some of these are actually vanity lists. I don't know if you know that. There are, the only way to get in those lists and some of those lists, the who's who in some of these things, is if you pay for the book that they're going to publish and they'll put your name in there. It's kind of like naming a star after somebody. You know, It doesn't mean anything. And then there are other lists like the Forbes Richest People of the World. And there are people, I mean, really, they vie for the top place. They want to be, you know. Bill Gates is number one. His net worth is $40 billion. It's a lot of money. But, you know, a person may think they're important because of their education. They might think they're important because of their accomplishments, their looks, their riches, their job, their talents. I hate to pop your bubble, but history has a way of erasing almost every accomplishment you will ever make. There will always be a faster skier. There will always be a longer jumper. There will always be the next American Idol. You may have earned a degree, but somebody else will earn two or three. Or like the guy that's... Uh, that I knew when he was, I think, 47 years old when I first met him. He hadn't graduated from college. Well, he had, actually. He had graduated from college every four years for, since he was 20. And he kept going and going and going. More degrees. We may be rich, but someone will be richer still. We may think we're pretty important in our employment, but there's always someone more important than you. You know, our importance, if you think about it really, our importance oftentimes is measured in distance. In distance. You might only be important within the four walls of your place of employment. Outside of that, no one really cares how important you are. You might be a significant person within your business or academic circles or at your school. But out of outside of those circles, I don't know if they still say this or not, but big whoop. You ever heard that? Big whoop. That just means who cares? Our importance might be measured in miles. You might be known throughout your neighborhood or throughout your city, maybe your county or your state, maybe even a country. But the further you drive away from your center of importance, the less important you are. Maybe you've made it to the top and you're known throughout the world. Well, don't get a big head just yet. Because your importance 
has another enemy, and that's time. Your significance may only be measured in minutes. Maybe it's only measured in hours. Time erases almost every accomplishment that we ever um, complete. Go back to your high school and see if anyone really remembers you, your high school reunion. Read an old encyclopedia about the famous people at that time, and it's almost laughable. You may be thinking, well, that's pretty discouraging. Is our time on earth worthless? Is all of life pessimistic? No, but it, you know, really it is important for us to have a critical view um, of ourselves, lest we become caught up with what the world thinks is important. So in this, this morning, as we kick off our study in the New Testament characters, I want to quickly look at some people. Only one of them is named. The others shall remain nameless until we get to heaven. But they're just, they're very important people. Now, brothers, as we start our study in the New Testament characters, I, I want to just um, remind you, for those of you who are preaching in the months ahead, to spend time looking at a character trait of the person. Uh, spend time concentrating on their character, not so much on the narrative. It's, we, we all know the stories. But spend time looking at the character. What can we learn from the character of uh, this person that we're looking at? Why did they act the way they did? So the first one I want to look at is Peter. Now, Noed is going to be preaching on Peter in, in uh, the months ahead. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on Peter. But there's a couple of things I want to point out about his life. Who is Peter? And why is he still well-known 2,000 years after he lived and died on earth. Who was Peter? He was a fisherman. How many, of, how many of you know famous fishermen? John, put your hand down. He was going to boast about his own fishing. <laughs> no, I, I... Well, Peter was a pretty important fisherman. I mean, after all, he owned a fleet of boats. A fleet of probably two. That was with his partners, you know. He fished the Sea of Galilee, after all. And you've all heard of the Sea of Galilee. But if you were to take a look at the who's who, if there was such a list, the who's who in lakes in the world, the Sea of Galilee wouldn't even measure up. It'd be like a drop compared to the world's greatest lakes. In fact, just to pop the Sea of Galilee's bubble here, it is one-third of the size of the area of Lake Tahoe, okay? It's not a big lake. It's, it's nothing really to speak of in, in the bodies of water in the world today. 64 square miles compared to 191 at Lake Tahoe. Well, perhaps Peter was famous on the lake. And if you were to ask people maybe just a few miles from his hometown, hey, do you know Peter? You know what they'd probably say? Peter who? Okay. Peter who? Millions of fishermen have lived and died and no one remembers them. Why would we remember Peter? Well, it has nothing to do with Peter. And it has everything to do with his association with Jesus. And I want to underscore this for you today. Your importance 
your significance, your value has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your job. It has nothing to do with your education. It has nothing to do with your talents, your abilities, your riches, your possessions, or your status in life. It has nothing to do with any of those things. Your importance, your significance, has only to do with your association with Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus came to the town where Peter fished, where he was a fisherman, and uh, he borrowed Peter's boat and used it as a pulpit from which he preached to the crowds of people who were on the lakeshore. And when he finished preaching to them, he, sp- he uh, said to Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. For a catch. And so let's take a look at Luke chapter 5 and uh, we'll begin reading what happened next. Luke 5 verse 5. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. It's, it, it doesn't go over well when you tell a fisherman how to fish. That was his job. He was an expert. Jesus was not known for being a fisherman. And he told him, but he said, nevertheless, so he did the right thing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat. See, there's the fleet. Okay. To come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. This was the best fishing day ever. This was the best day of their business. Remember, this was his livelihood. This was the best business day he had ever had. He was a fisherman. He knew fishing. And he and his partners were astonished. They had never had a catch like this, ever. And they were astonished with this. Best best fishing day ever. And they said, Lord, we leave it all behind. And we're going to come and follow you. Now fast forward three years. After the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus had ascended into heaven. And we see Peter on the day of Pentecost as he preaches his first sermon. The results, he lets down his net, so to speak, and he brings a catch of 3,000 people. 3,000 people come to know the Lord after one sermon. Any evangelist would be happy with that. Any preacher would be happy with that. 3,000 people came to know the Lord. Now... He's fishing for men. Then he preached again. And 5,000 men believed the gospel and were saved. He was creating such a stir that the religious leaders uh, wanted him to stop. But Peter responded back to them and said this, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven uh, given among men by which we must be saved. Whose name is that? Jesus. 
Let me tell you something. If you are a Gentile here this morning, you are here this morning because of Peter. Now, you're here because of the Lord dying for your sins. I realize that. But it was Peter who was given the privilege of opening up the door to the Gentiles, the door of the gospel uh, to the Gentiles. And as a result of his ministry, we are here today. The religious rulers responded in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. This is what they said. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And here's the key. They realized that they had been with Jesus. Is that how people view you? Is that how people see me? Do they realize that we have been with Jesus. You know, had Peter continued fishing by the Sea of Galilee, he would have lived and he would have died like so many other fishermen who had gone before him and have come since him. No doubt he was an honest, hardworking, devoted to his family kind of guy. But Peter was uneducated. He was untrained in culture, untrained in academics and religious thought. But when Jesus called Peter to follow him, Peter left his nets and he left his boats behind and he spent time with Jesus. Because of his relationship with Jesus, thousands of people and ultimately millions of people have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. What stands in the way of us spending time with Jesus and becoming fishers of men is it fishing for fish is that what is standing in the way is it our jobs is it our education is it relationships jesus said follow me and i will make you fishers of men peter could have fished for fish all of his life and he would have been known he would have been famous in the region where he lived in Galilee, he would have been known as the fisherman. And that's it. He would have been known to a handful of people and he would have been quickly forgotten. Instead, Peter forsook all and he followed the Lord. I don't know about you, but I think he made the right choice. Now, as we study New Testament characters, uh, the thing to realize is that we wouldn't even know these people in any way at all had it not been for their association with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, Think about that as you read and as we study the New Testament characters. We wouldn't know these people. They're nobody, really, except as they are associated with the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I say the same thing of us. We're nobodies. We're nothing apart from our relationship with Jesus Christ. So I look forward to the weeks ahead to see how being with Jesus, being associated with Him, being around Him affects the lives of New Testament characters and how it can radically affect our lives too. Well, let's take a look at one of these characters in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, 
<clears throat> beginning with uh, verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. This widow is seen only here in this chapter and in the parallel passage in Luke. Four verses. Four verses. And yet what an eloquent sermon she preaches. We don't know where this woman came from. We know nothing about her education. We don't even know her name. She's called a poor widow. So we know that she was married and that her husband died. That much we know. And we know she's poor. That much we know. She certainly would not appear on any who's who list, would she? It looks like she didn't make it to the top. It looks like she made it to the bottom. PBS, the uh, public broadcasting uh, television station, and other nonprofit organizations love to have pledge drives because it's a way of raising cash to support their cause or their purpose or their group. Now, if you notice in these pledge drives, if you've ever been bored enough to watch them, they don't make mention of people that give a dollar or two dollars. But man, do they ever announce and, and plaster up on the screen those who have given an abundance. The large name donors, they appear there and sometimes their name appears for quite some time because they gave a lot. They announce the names of the large donors, such as a foundation that gave, you know, a million dollars to this purpose or their, this cause. But in these verses, the God of the universe is standing in the temple by the treasury, watching as people are giving their gifts to him. That's who they're giving to. Do you think the God of the universe in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ had ever watched this before? I think from heaven he watched it a lot. And I think that if you can use a little creative imagination here, just like he did here with his disciples, I wouldn't be surprised if God said to the angels one day, hey, come here. I want you to see what this poor widow does for me every time she comes to the treasury. I don't think this was a one-time occurrence. I think this was her habit. I think this was her purpose. Come, Gabriel, look at this widow again, how she's giving to me. What is the character trait that we see in this woman? Devotion, okay, that's one. Faith, thank you. I think that's what it is. Faith, faith in God. So here the Lord Jesus Christ comes from heaven, becomes a man, 
and he makes it his purpose at some point in his life to come into the temple, to stand by the treasury, and to make it an object lesson for his disciples. Possibly like he did in heaven, if I can use that imagination. James, John, Peter, you guys come here. Take a look at this. Watch. Just watch as people give. See the rich people? Yeah, they're giving a lot. (laughs) Lord, remember, we forsook all. (laughs) Watch this poor widow. And she reaches into her money bag or her purse or whatever she had and she takes two copper coins and she casts them into the treasury. This is the lowest denomination of money that they had. That's it. It would be like equivalent to our pennies. I don't know what the actual value is. It doesn't really matter. It's the lowest end. Our lowest end is two pennies. And she reaches in and she puts two pennies in. And Jesus said to his disciples, look at what she's done. She's given more than all of them. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I, 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 may, not, I may be uneducated, but I know that more is more. A hundred dollars is worth more than two pennies. How do you figure she's giving more? Percentage-wise, she gave it all. A hundred percent. It'd be like Bill Gates taking the 40 billion and just giving it all. It'd be like me taking my paycheck and just giving it all. It'd be like me taking everything that I have and just saying, Lord, here you are. You're worth it. But not only that, Lord, I trust you for the future because that's what she was doing. She was trusting the Lord for the future. So that's the character trait we see in her faith. What is faith? The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. If I take everything in my pocket and I give it all, here you go, Lord, it's yours, I have nothing left. What about tomorrow? What about my next meal? What about the mortgage payment? What about living? What about clothes on my back? What about these things that I need? You think she thought of it? I think so. But she knew God. She knew God. What did this poor woman, this poor widow know that we don't know? Psalm 46, 9 says, The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow. You know, there are many Old Testament verses that uh, speak about the Lord defending and providing for the widows. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament actually make it clear that it is our responsibility to care for the widows, um, care for those who are in need. And God provides for them through the generosity of His people. It's a priority to God, and it needs to be a priority to us. As I say, I'm sure it wasn't the first time this widow gave all. And God had seen every gift that she had ever given. Every time she gave, I think she was making a secret promise to the Lord. I can almost hear her say, Lord, I want to give you everything because I trust you to take care of my tomorrow just like you've taken care of my today. This poor, nameless widow had faith in God and she uh, she demonstrated her faith by forsaking all that she had 
and she gave it to the Lord. You know, there's something to be said about this widow. There's a freshness in her faith. Lord, I can trust you day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour. Where was her heart in all of this? Fully trusting in Jesus. Fully trusting in her God. So what application can we take from the life of the poor widow? That's a lesson in faith. The Bible says this, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Give freely to the Lord, and the Lord will take care of all of your future necessities. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in heaven that does not fail where no thief approaches nor moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will be also where is my heart today i know where the heart of this woman's where where this woman's heart was fully trusting in the lord well i want to talk about another nameless woman and she's uh, found in luke chapter 7 Luke chapter 7. Then one of the Pharisees... Oh, verse 36, I'm sorry. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. That's asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping, And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head 
And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii uh, in, in dollars and cents. It's a debt he could never pay. It was an outlandish debt. He could not pay it. And the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman was anoint, has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And we'll end there. With regard to the woman... What is the character trait you see in this passage? Appreciation. It's true. Love. That's what it says. Okay? He pointed that out twice. It was a common courtesy in the Middle Eastern home that when somebody came into the home that you would care for their physical needs. People wore sandals. They walked on dusty roads. When they came into someone's home, their feet were dirty. And so the common courtesy would be to, to kneel down in front of that person with some water and wash their feet. That was just a common courtesy. He was invited to Simon's house. You would think Simon would show him this common courtesy, but he did not. It was a common courtesy to anoint a person's head with oil, and Simon didn't do that either. Simon probably thought he was a pretty important character. But this woman, nameless as she is, came into Simon's house. I guess that was permitted in those days. And she, if you, rem if you remember the way people ate, they would kind of recline on a, on a bench. And so their feet would actually be behind them. And this woman came into the scene and she took her tears. She wept. <laughs> And as her tears spilled down over Jesus' feet, she took her glory. That's her hair. That's what it says about a woman's hair. It's her glory. And she laid it at Jesus' feet. She wiped his feet with her hair. And she kissed his feet. It wasn't her responsibility. It wasn't her duty. But she loved him. Why did she love him? Because she was a sinner who had been forgiven 
her sins by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I can read a lot into this story. There are things that we don't know about this woman. We don't know about her education. We don't know about her importance around town. Oh, she had a reputation in town, but it wasn't a good reputation. She was known to be a sinner. I doubt she had much in the way of earthly goods. Most women who probably were in her profession um, made money to live off of. And that was it. I don't think she had a husband. I don't think she had children. She had one possession that was important to her. That's it. It was an alabaster flask of precious ointment. Maybe it was given to her by her mother, by her family. Maybe that was the only possession that she had that was important to her. Let me ask you, what is it that you cling to? What is it in life that is so important to you that it can't be laid down at the feet of Jesus? And she broke it. And the fragrance filled the room. And everybody who was there enjoyed it. There's a similar passage. It's not the same passage, but there's a similar passage to this in three other places in the Scripture. Each of the Gospels presents a story very similar to this. The two separate stories, though. In one of them, it says that when the uh, that that this act that she did would be remembered wherever the gospel is preached. Wherever the gospel is preached, Lord, are you kidding? The gospel message, the message of Jesus Christ coming to this earth to die for our sins, who is buried, who rose again the third day, is going to be preached. And alongside of this, we're going to hear about a woman who broke an alabaster flask of ointment and wiped your feet with it? Why would you consider that so important? Because God desires worshipers. He desires those who love Him. Christine said a verse this morning. It's it's the verse that sums up all of the law. And it says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And she did. She took her most precious possession, everything she had, and said, Lord, I love you. I love you. And she gave it to him. She gave it all. Simon the Pharisee. Jesus asked him, well, who would love more? One who had been forgiven a great debt or a little debt? He said, well, I suppose the one who had been forgiven much. How much have you been forgiven? How much? All of it. You love much? He's worth everything. All of our love. All of our affection. All that we have. All that we are. He deserves it all. We have another one to look at, but we don't have time. So we're going to end with that and we uh, look forward as we say, for the brothers, as we begin to look at the characters of of people in the New Testament, to look at their character. How can we grow uh, from this as well? How can we have more love to the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Lord, as we think of this widow, we think of Peter, and we think of this woman, all who forsook all, really, to follow you, 
Lord, we just pray that we would hold nothing back in our lives, that we would hold nothing back in our love, in our appreciation, our affection, our faith, Lord, that we would demonstrate day, day by day what you mean to us, who you are to us, Lord. We pray that our lives might show that and that people will see that we have been with Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.